0: Well, this morning, as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, I want to continue our study in the book of 1 Peter. So if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and this morning we will look at verses 5 through 7. We are in the last chapter of our ongoing expositional study of this book, and we come this morning to verses 5 through 7. Chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verses 5 through 7. And Peter writes, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Well, our first point this morning is humility and the church. Last Sunday morning, if you were with us, we looked at the biblical office of elder and the attitude that elders ought to have toward the church. And the most important thought that I shared with you last Sunday morning is that elders are shepherds of God's flock who have been called by God to feed his sheep, lead his sheep, and protect his sheep. And as I shared with you, if, they, if you remember nothing else, that's what I want you to remember, that they have been called by God to feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and to protect the sheep. Peter writes to his fellow elders, exhorting them to tenderly and lovingly shepherd the flock of God that is among them. What a tender, tender phrase that is. O elders, O leaders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And the elders are to be ever mindful that they are under shepherds of the chief shepherd Jesus Christ. The head of this church and the head of every Bible-believing church is Jesus Christ himself. Well, that brings us to our passage this morning. In today's passage, Peter turns from the elders to the congregation and its attitude toward church leaders, toward one another, and toward God himself. So last week, the church leaders... This week, the congregation, it's beautiful how the Bible works these things together and covers all the bases. Author and pastor Ray Pritchard writes this. He says, every church needs two things to prosper, the right kind of leaders and the right kind of followers. Blessed is that church, for the sky is the limit. Throughout his first letter, Peter has emphasized the principle of authority and submission. All of church life, in fact, all of human life, can only flourish and function properly if we practice the principle of authority and submission. Peter calls us, as God's children, to be subject to, to be submissive to, the governing authorities... To those who are in authority over us, whether it be the emperor or whether it be the governor, he says. Then he says that servants are to be submissive, be subject to their masters. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unjust. So employees are to be submissive to their employers. He says that wives are to be subject To their husbands. Husbands are to live with their wives. In an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman. As the weaker vessel. So this is built into his whole letter. And so he says here. In verse 5. Likewise. Likewise in all I've taught you. In the first four chapters. Likewise. In the attitude of an elder. Being gentle and tender. And shepherding the flock of God. Likewise. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, it's interesting that he singles out those who are younger. And so the question is, why does he do this? And the answer is, the text really doesn't tell us. John MacArthur offers this possibility. He said, in every generation, not just our own, there is a tendency among those who are younger to be aggressive and strong-headed. Now, we are thankful for our youth. We are thankful for all those who are young among us. They are a very important part of this church. I read an article recently in the Gospel Co- or on the Gospel Coalition website. And the thrust of the article was this. It said, I challenge you to stop using the phrase... Youth are the future of our church. In a sense, they are. They will be our future leaders. But don't just say the youth are the future of our church. The youth are the church right now. They're a very important part of our church. Their ideas, their creativity, their thoughts are critically important. So this is not a negative phrase or sentence here that Peter is using. He is simply saying... Those who are younger, be subject, be subject to the elders. What you do, do with humility. Do with the goal of unity in the church. Do it with a godly attitude. Well, then he moves to really the heart of this particular text. And he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Beautiful, beautiful sentence. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Leaders, members, regular attendees, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And the key phrase here is clothe yourselves. It comes from an ancient Middle Eastern thought of servants. Servants used to distinguish themselves from others by wearing an apron, or simply a piece of cloth around their waist. And that cloth would do two things. It would identify them as servants, and it would be used as they served others, especially in that day and age, in the washing of feet as travelers came into homes. And the most profound and most beautiful example of this phrase, clothe yourselves is Jesus himself in John chapter 13 where he takes a cloth and he washes his disciples' feet. So the greatest illustration of this phrase is our Savior himself. And Peter is saying, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Humility, that humbleness, that meekness that is so critical to the church and to life itself and to Christian growth. And here's why here's why, and I appreciated this being on the screen for our meditation, for commun- or excuse me, for the offering this morning. here's why. Here's why you are to clothe yourselves with humility, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe every single one of us as a Christian ought to memorize that sentence. It is a verse that comes from Proverbs 3:34. It is repeated again in James 4:6. So it is a very important thought. You need to know, I need to know that God always opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You want the grace of God? You want to experience the grace of God in your Christian life, then you be humble. I loved what one writer said. He said, If you are arrogant and proud, you not only rob God of his glory, but you will find yourself with God himself as your enemy opposing you. You will find yourself with God as your adversary. With him opposing you because of your pride and your arrogance. Jesus said this of himself. He says, I am gentle and humble of heart. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest because I, I am gentle and humble of heart. You want to be like Jesus? Be humble. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Numbers twelve three, it isn't on the screen, You may be familiar with it. I say favorite because it constantly challenges me. Numbers 12.3 says that Moses was a very humble man. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. I, I just find that astounding. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone, than anyone on the face of the earth. We are talking about one of Israel's greatest leaders in its history. We are talking about the great lawgiver of Israel. The Bible says he was the most humble man on the face of the earth when he was alive. C.S. Lewis writes this, He says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. That's actually, that last sentence is one of his more famous quotes ever. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. Humility comes from a proper understanding of the grace of God. We need to remind ourselves individually and to church that everything we have comes from God. And everything we have is a gift from God. Every possession you have is a gift from God. Every measure of intellectual ability that you have is a gift from God. Every measure of health that you have right now is a gift from God. And if God chose to, he could take it away from you or take any of those things away from you anytime that he wanted to. We have earned nothing. You may think you've earned what you have by the labor of your work, but even what you own is a gift of the grace of God. In verse 6, he says, Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves, brothers and sisters, under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God is a Powerful Old Testament title for God or descriptor of God. When the children of Israel escaped from their tyranny and bondage in Egypt, the great Exodus, it was under the mighty hand of God. The Red Sea was parted under the mighty hand of God. The Jordan River was divided under the mighty hand of God. Every military victory that Israel accomplished was because of the mighty hand of God. It means that God is the controller and ruler of all things, including every detail of your life. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, in the right time, and exactly Just the right time he may exalt you. Some translations have that he may lift you up. It means let God have his way in your life and then he will bring you to the end of your trial or your suffering or whatever you may go through in his time and not yours. Now I want you to think to whom Peter is writing. He is writing to a group of people who are enduring great persecution under the Roman Empire And we're about or are about to endure even greater persecution under the emperor Nero. And he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may bring you to the end of your suffering, to the end of your trial. You see, when we go through trials, when we go through times of suffering, we are very tempted and very prone to get discouraged we are very prone, very tempted to get angry. We get angry with other people. And, and we sometimes get angry with God. He says, whatever you're going through, humble yourselves under his mighty hand so that the proper time, in his timing, not your timing, he may exalt you he may bring you to the end of that trial. And then he says in verse 7, casting all your anxieties, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So when you are worried because of what you're going through, and this word anxieties is all encompassing. It includes discontentment, discouragement, despair, questioning, pain, suffering. Casting all your anxieties on him So when you are tempted to complain, when you are tempted to get angry, when you feel hopeless, when you feel like you're in despair, he says, cast all your anxieties on him. It is the word picture of someone taking a blanket and casting it on a mule or casting it on a horse. It is also the word picture of somebody with a very heavy backpack. And they come to the point where they just take that backpack off And they don't just lay it down, they cast it down. They throw it to the ground because it's so heavy. That's the thought here. You take your greatest burdens, your heaviest weights, and you cast them on God himself. And you know why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. There are many things that we could say that separates the true and living God of Israel the true and living God of the Bible from all the false gods of the world. There are a number of things we could mention, but one of them is this. One of them is our God is a personal God. He is a God who intimately cares about every single thing you are going through right now. He is the only God of which it can be said, He cares for you. And he cares more for you than anyone else in your entire life. Well, that brings us to our second point, an elusive character trait. The title of this message is Humility, the Key Attitude of a Godly Church Member. Last week, last Sunday morning, I shared with you that arrogant, domineering, that an arrogant, domineering leadership style has been a constant temptation for pastors throughout church history. It is a constant temptation that needs constant accountability in the life of a church leader. I shared with you last week two specific examples, two recent examples of two very well-known pastors who recently were fired from their churches. According to Christianity Today magazine, not my term, but theirs, they were fired because of an arrogant, domineering leadership style. Last week, we looked at elders, church leaders. This week, all the rest of us, and I say this to you, arrogant and domineering church members can create serious conflict and division within the church. That's why humility is so important. It is heartbreaking for me when I hear of churches that are going through great conflict that have been split because of an individual or because of a small group of people. And I say to you this morning, pray to God Pray to God that you are never that person because I believe it is nauseating to God because God always opposes the proud. But for most of us, for most of us, being arrogant and domineering is not really the main issue for us. For most of us, humility is a much subtler and elusive issue. There is something in every church and in all of our lives that often keeps us from true humility. And do you know what it is? It is criticism and complaining. Criticism and complaining can be epidemic in a church. We all know how it goes. Every single one of us. We all know how it goes. We get in our group of friends our little groups, and we begin to criticize and complain about someone or something within the church. And that begins to fester and it begins to grow. And we realize that we're coming to church each Sunday not with a worshipful, humble attitude, but with a critical attitude. I want to share something with you just for you to think about, just for you to kind of chew on for the future. I drew this from a number of sources, very convicting to me. A truly godly person exhibits great restraint. A truly godly person exhibits great restraint. Or we could say a truly humble person exhibits great restraint. It is that person who is in that group of people and the conversation begins to drift in a negative direction and he or she says, let's not go there. It is the person who says, sorry, I'm not going to participate in this conversation. It is the person who has that golden opportunity that golden opportunity to say something critical, something cutting, something that would really hurt someone else and they choose not to. It is that person who has an opportunity to boast, to brag, to criticize, or to complain. But they restrain themselves and they don't. That friends is a truly godly person. If there is a parallel passage for first Peter five verses five through seven, it would have to be Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give or as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. And not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The thought is humbly, willingly, voluntarily submit to those who are in leadership. So that they can carry out their responsibilities with joy and not with groaning. And I love that last phrase, it's very interesting. It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you you'd think it would say because that would be of no advantage to them but it says that would be of no advantage to you and what it means is if it is not a joy to lead you if you are a critical prideful person you're not growing you're not maturing in the faith You're not advancing in Christ's likeness. This would be of no advantage to you. A good question to ask, for all of us to ask ourselves, is, is it a joy to lead me? Is it a joy to pastor me? What I'd like to do for our communion time is bring last week and this week together. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful opportunity for all of us to examine ourselves in relation to the first seven verses of 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let all of our leaders here this morning examine ourselves. Examine yourselves. Are you tenderly and lovingly shepherding the flock of God? Have you put aside your private personal agenda so that you might do what is best for the whole flock of God, for the entire congregation? Let all of our members, all of us, all of our members and regular attendees examine ourselves. Are we clothing ourselves with humility? Are we humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God? Are we casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for us? At this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.